0: Grace, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In our story today, or in our text for today, we see um, a great example of faith by the apostle Peter and those who are with him. Um, his brother His brother. Um, his brother, Andrew, and James, and John, and the great act of faith is something that we should uh, keep in mind, but within the proper context. We see here that Christ comes to these men, and he tells them to do something that's um, a bit unconventional, at least from my reading. I don't know very well the, uh, the, um, f- the, f- the fishing uh, discipline of those on the Sea of um, Galilee. But from what I've read, the best thing to do is to fish at night. It's, it's cool and it's easy. Uh, the fish are not trying to get to the bottom where it's cooler because it's not hot towards the surface. And so it's not as hard to catch fish. But the bad thing is, is that these men don't have a good night of it. God did not bless them with a catch. So they're washing their nets and about to just go call it a loss and say, we'll try it again tonight. And then after Jesus asks their permission to um, get in their boat and teach the people, because the people are crowding around him, there are just so many people swarming him. They go out a a bit on the water in the boat and he preaches and he teaches. And then after that, he says, "'Go out into the deep and put down your nets for a catch.'" And, you know, Jesus is not a fisherman. Peter is. So of course Peter is thinking to himself, "'Well, he's a good teacher. "'Don't think I've ever seen him fish. "'Not sure this is gonna work out. Lord, we've been fishing all night, caught nothing, and yet at your word, I will put down the nets. And when they do this, they enclosed the largest number of fish they probably had ever or would ever catch. So much so, they need help from the other boat of James and John to come over there and help them. And there's still so many fish, it's causing both boats to sink. Now, What Jesus does here is he portrays his divine nature in such a way that says, I will give you all that you would desire. And what's interesting about that is that this is even greater than what they ever had desired. And it's terrifying. It's terrifying that God would give us so much that we wouldn't even know what to do with it all. It becomes so much, and Peter sees what is happening and sees that God is present doing his work, and he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, Lord. And everyone who saw it were astonished because they'd never seen anything like that before, not dur- especially not during the day. Maybe someone had something fairly close to it at night, but nothing like this. It was in the day for everyone to see, and everyone knew who did that work. And so with that, they have this great bit of, I guess, capital that's on their hands. They can take all that fish and go sell it and make a lot of money and have enough to maybe advance the small business that they have and maybe buy another boat at some point, maybe get some more people to help out, do more things, build on the capital, advance what they had been doing but it says nothing about what they did with the fish, but only that when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him and followed Christ. They left everything behind. So my question to y'all is, what is the miracle in this story? Is it that they went out on the sea at a not conventional time to to catch such a huge load of fish? Or was it that these men left everything that they had, left their whole livelihood, left a big old bit of cash on the table, as they say, and went and followed after Christ? They knew who he was. They believed in what he said, what he taught And that was confirmed by what he did. And so for us, the question is, what is the miracle that is in our lives today? Is it that God keeps us safe and sound, comfortable and content? Or is it that he should depart from us because of who we are and our sinful sinful nature? But he doesn't. I truly think that the miracle for us today is not people um, walking on water or feeding thousands of people or healing the sick and the blind. Those things have come and gone in Christ. The true miracles that we have today is that people who are sinful, fallen creatures, people who are not just dead, through their sins and trespasses, but they're hostile to God, those people can and are brought to faith. And they leave that sinful life behind and they follow Christ. That is the miracle. The miracle is that though Christ should depart from us, he does not. He draws near and calls you to a new life lived through him. That for us today, we should be like Peter. In fact, at least we were by what we said in the confession today, that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved God with our whole heart. We deserve nothing but his his temporal and eternal punishment. But for the sake of Jesus Christ, we ask for God's grace. We humble ourselves and we say, Lord, if you really knew how bad I was, you wouldn't even bother. But the great thing is, is that he does know how bad you are. He does know your heart. He does know how you have fallen short. And yet even so, he calls you near to him to trust in him and what he has done for you to trust that his blood has been shed for you. His blood now covers you completely to the point where the father looks at you and he doesn't see your former self. He only sees his son. He sees Christ. So with that, we rejoice in what Christ says when he says, do not be afraid, be at peace. Your sins are forgiven. You are a new creature. You're a new person. Does that mean that you're now going to be perfect? No, <laughs> far from it. After this was Peter perfect? Absolutely not. He fell short, just like the rest of his his uh, his, his, his 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 fellow disciples. He probably more than any other by calling out Jesus for the things he should not have called him out for, right? Peter makes the great confession that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then after that, he says, oh, and by the way, I have to go and suffer and die to which Peter, who just made this great confession, says, Oh, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. To which Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. For your mind is not set on the things of God, but on the things of men. Peter is not perfect. None of us are. We are sinful, fallen creatures still, even though we are baptized. In this world, we live in this world. Very, very frustrating life of being saints, but sinners at the same time. It's very frustrating because part of us is saying that we're good by ourselves, that we don't need God, or we say, well, maybe God doesn't know about what I'm doing over here on this little sly, you know? And the other side of us is pulling the other way, saying, no, let's do the things of God. Let's trust in him who has saved us and live the life he calls us to. It's this back and forth, this struggle that we live in as crucified Christians in the flesh. And yet, we should know that in the midst of this struggle, In the midst of the times where we aim for the good things but fall short, Jesus still draws near. And he calls you to live that new life through him. He still comes to you when you fall short. When you don't say the things you should. When you fail to do what he has called you to do. When you even don't make that phone call that you Had the inclination to make to that person that's in the hospital, but then got distracted with something else. That's falling short still. And yet Christ still draws near to you. He draws near to you to say, I forgive you. You are covered with my grace. And with that, you can do better. No, it will not be perfect but you can do better. And that is something that we need to hear more and more of today and as our life in the church in this world draws darker and darker. We live in this world that is full of darkness and we should be shining the light of Christ into it because the darkness has not overcome the light of Christ. And so we can be confident to do the works that he has called us to do in faith, not because they save us, but because we have been saved by the works of Christ, that in him we have assurance of salvation, that in him we have grace, mercy, and peace, to know that though we have fallen and though we are not deserving of it, Christ still draws near. He still comes to us. So in in seeing this text from Luke, we see that Peter's right to say, depart from me, O Lord, I'm a sinful man. But Christ is also right when he says, do not be afraid. Believe in me. And you will be saved. And so from that, as Christians, we ought to be encouraged to live that new life we have been called to. To live the life that Christ now gives us with his life and his death. We are called to live this new life. And when we hear these things, these encouragements, as it were, from St. Peter and the text that we had um, today when he says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, um, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for, for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. That he calls us as those who have been blessed to be a blessing. That we who are Christians, when we hear this word that is law, we should remember that we are living in that frustrating state of saint and sinner simultaneously. When we hear the law to direct us into what we should now be doing as Christians, when we feel conflicted and we hear things like have unity of mind, have sympathy, have brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind, you may think to yourself, the pastor's telling me to do things. He's telling me to do things, and it makes me a little uncomfortable to be humble or sympathetic or unity of mind with that person I don't really agree with, right? You may hear yourself saying to yourself, well, he's talking about doing things, but I'm here to hear about what Jesus has done for us. And you do. You hear about what Jesus has done for you and also what he is now doing through you by his grace. That we as Christians live a life that when we hear the law, the old man bristles and he says, oh, I don't need to hear that. But the new man says, amen, thank you. I know what I can do now. So that when you aim for the good things, when you aim For these things, you know that you do it with a good conscience. Knowing that you have been saved. Knowing that Christ has saved you. And that now he desires for you to go and to catch men alive. To confess his name before all people. To simply even on some level, be patient. Be joyful in the face of persecution and trial. And in that joy and patience, others will marvel and say, what is it that you have that makes you this way? How can you go through affliction and temptation and still be standing on your two feet? How is it that you can be so joyful in the face of this world that seeks to destroy you and tear you apart? tear you to pieces. How can you do this? And St. Peter says, have no fear nor be troubled, but in your hearts give honor to Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet Do it with gentleness and respect. And I'll go even further here from our text today and say, that he says having a good conscience so that when you are slandered those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing than for doing what is evil and a little bit later he gets to the point of the matter how is it that we have a good conscience How is it that we receive a good conscience in God's sight other than baptism, which now saves you? Baptism now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with, with, with the angels, the authorities, and powers having been subject, been subjected to him. In this one who has come down to earth, been made flesh, lived the perfect life, died the death that you deserve, and now has been raised to the new life that you have been called to. In him you have a good conscience. In him you have been washed clean. In him, you have joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness, faithfulness and self-control. All these fruits of the Spirit now belong to you for the sake of Christ, so that you can go forth, having unity of mind, having, having having sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. All these things are yours in Christ. And all these things we now do just as a matter of course. They're no big deal now. And we do them joyfully because we get to do them. Because Christ has done them for us. That in Him we have our life and our being. And so in this world we live from a clean conscience, a good conscience through Jesus Christ, who has granted it to you by his grace. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, excuse me, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.